Thanks, Wally. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, so glad you're here with us. It's a little cooler uh, in here than it was last week. <laughs> and so uh, no snow cones provided, though. That's the downside, right, of being inside. But we're glad you're here for uh, week number two of a series that we're doing here tonight called I Quit. <laughs> and uh, throughout this series, uh, we're looking at and talking about some of the habits, uh, some of the things that we do, even some, some of the things that our culture teaches us from a very early age that stand in the way of what God has in store for us. Uh, and, and honestly, the stand in the way of uh, a much better life. And so we're kind of looking at a few of those things uh, throughout this series. Today I want to talk about quit uh, complaining or quit grumbling, right? I quit part two, quit grumbling or complaining. If, if you prefer, maybe we could we could say it's about restraining your complaining. So anybody here ever find yourself complaining? Ever find yourself uh, uh, talking about or thinking on or dwelling on some of the negative? If you're not raising your hand, I'm skeptical. <laughs> okay, I'm just, we'll talk about lying another week. No, I'm just kidding. But, it, but it, it's one of those things that's sort of almost universal in our culture these days. And it's a very convicting topic to preach on, I have to say. I've been studying uh, these passages we're going to look at today uh, all week. And uh, on Friday, we, our uh, car broke down, and so I had to put a new radiator in, in, uh, in our van. And it's something I've never done before. I'm not like super mechanic-y, and so uh, I, I can follow YouTube videos. And so uh, my daughter Abby and I spent a couple hours uh, out working, trying to do, replace this radiator. And uh, it's one of those things, we're going through step-by-step -step YouTube. You know, everything's going great. This is the way car projects usually work for me. About 80% of it goes just perfect, and then there's the other 20% that takes like a long time and makes me really frustrated. So we're following these step-by-step. We're taking pieces out and unscrewing things. Everything's going great until we get to the part where they say, the guy just simply says, you know, I mean, some people have to take off the entire front bumper assembly for this. He said, but I can, you can usually just reach in there underneath the radiator, reach right underneath there and clip it from the and unclip it from the power steering line. I'm like, well, how hard can that be, right? It's, <laughs> it's one of those things. I mean, we had no idea we were looking for. You're stick jamming your arm in. I'm cutting up, slicing up my arm and stuff against the radiator. You're trying to reach underneath this thing and feel for some sort of clip that you're supposed to squeeze or whatever. It took like an hour and a half for us to, to find that and get the thing unclipped. It probably took me another hour to reclip it when we got the new one in. It was one of those, I mean, like, your blood pressure is going up and up and up and up and up. And I tell you what, I found myself grumbling a little bit. And, and again, it's convicting because I've been reading these passages all week. We're talking about quitting, uh, you know, would you quit complaining? And I'm, here I am, I had to stop myself a couple of times because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, I feel myself tempted to do this. I had to stop at one point. I'm out there. I worked on it until midnight that night. I kid you not, putting it all back together. And I, I found myself out there by myself at one point, And I finally had to stop and say, you know, actually, God, I'm grateful. I am thankful that I have the opportunity. We had this happen with our other van a while ago, and it cost us almost a thousand bucks to have somebody else replace it. And so I'm like, we saved ourselves hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars by doing this ourselves. And I found myself. Uh, stopping and trying to put into practice some of what we're teaching them. Why? Because it's convicting. Because it's something I think all of us battle with and struggle with is we live in a society today where we are real quick to complain. If you don't believe me, go on social media, right? I mean, we are quick to complain. We'll go on and post about all kinds of things. It's a convicting topic. And I was thinking about some of the things this week about that we tend to complain about. I'm like, you know, it's, it's interesting because we'll complain about both sides of the same issue. For instance, we'll complain about our jobs, right? Grumble about that. And so then something will happen and we'll lose that job or we'll get laid off or whatever else. And then we'll complain about not having that job. You know what I'm saying? Like we can complain about, like it's, or we'll complain about 
our spouses, right? We'll complain, oh, we'll kind of complain, grumble, whatever about, well, I wish they were this way, I wish they were that way. But then it, we'll complain as well if we're single. You see what I'm saying? We, we tend to, to, to do all kinds of things. How about even just the weather? How many have ever complained or grumbled that it is too cold outside? How many of us grumbled last week and said it's too hot outside? Right? I mean, we, we tend to complain about two sides of the same coin even. And uh, it's sort of an epidemic in our society. I heard uh, read some fascinating research this week from some sociologists that did research on people and, how, and complaining, and basically uh, some, of the, some of the trends, some of the things that they noticed. And this is one of the findings I thought was interesting. They said, you know what, Here's, and it's kind of counterintuitive, but they said, the more you have, the more you complain. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? The more you have, the more you complain. You'd think it would be the opposite. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, it makes sense. You're like, well, if you don't have enough, then you, maybe you complain about, but actually they're saying, no, nothing could be further from the truth. The more blessed we feel, the more we experience uh, affluence, the more we have, the more we tend to complain. We're a culture that has been incredibly blessed by God. And likewise, we're a culture that is that is addicted to complaining. Statistics, in fact, find this is something else from that, that uh, sociologist sociology study that I read. Uh, the study found that we complain more than they did during the Great Depression, significantly more. We're often ungrateful. We tend to grumble about circumstances, about our lives, about our relationships, about our jobs, about all kinds of things. I, I shared uh, maybe a year ago or a little more, uh, something, it's a, a comedian uh, skit that I, I ran across. Uh, it's from Louis C.K. Uh, it was a, he was interviewed on the Conan O'Brien show. And it's funny, he's got this, this little bit that he does. It's, it's called, Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy. And he kind of goes through a bunch of things. But he gets this one part, and he talks about airplane traveling. He said, he said it's so weird. He's like, he's like, when you hear people tell stories about going on it, you know, on a airplane on a trip of some sort he said they'll talk everybody will come back and they'll talk about it like like you're part of a in a cattle car in the 1940s in nazi germany he's like he's like have you ever heard this they'll be like i had to sit on the runway for 30 minutes you know kind of thing. like like you just were beaten or something like in an air condition you know whatever kind of thing he's like what's up with it? he said are you kidding me and then did you partake in the miracle of flight he says he said think about that i mean you're you're it's human flight. You're sitting in a chair in the sky. He said, the whole time we got to be going, we've been going, this is amazing. I'm flying. I'm flying. He said, but instead of just enjoying and being marveled at this experience, we so quickly turn it into complaining. Yeah, but the chairs don't go back very far, right? I mean, he kept talking about all kinds of things. Like, it's uncomfortable. It's too close and whatever. Anyway, it's a whole thing. It's, it's funny. It's, if you haven't seen it, I wish we had time to share it. Uh, it's a hoot. I won't, uh, I won't uh, give a blanket statement endorsing him, but I do think uh, that particular one is, is a funny thing. But it, it kind of gets to the core. I think as a culture, we're grumbly about stuff, aren't we? We complain about stuff. And it's not just out there. It's in here, right? It's in our lives. It's in our world. I mean, if everything isn't just the way we want it to be in our little worlds, if we have to wait a little bit longer, it's so easy for us to complain. Even in the current uh, COVID uh, crisis and all this kind of stuff, man, we complain about a lot of things. If I have to put on my mask, 
I can complain a little bit. If, if I go someplace that they don't require you to put on masks, we can complain a little bit, right? I mean, like you kinda, it, it, we, we kind of complain about all different kinds of things. It's so easy for us to feel entitled or for, for us to grumble if things aren't the way we want them to be so much so that I wonder how much of life we miss out on, how much we miss out on the promised thing, on the life that God has for us because we're so focused in on the negative and so busy grumbling and complaining that we miss out, like, like a visor, we miss out on all the good stuff that God has for us. And so that's what we're going to be kind of talking about um, today. I'm going to share kind of two uh, main passages, uh, or main, yeah, I'll say passages uh, with you today. I'm going to do a quick spattering from the Old Testament because I want you to see this. There's this, the Old Testament people of Israel, I think, uh, they took complaining to like a professional level. It was like the WWF or WWE or whatever it is of, of, uh, of professional complaining and grumbling and that kind of stuff. God, I mean, you kind of walk through the story with Israel and you see God coming through and providing in jaw-dropping ways again and again and again and again and again. And literally sometimes the very next verse, it's like the people complained and the people Grumble, and the people that God wasn't doing more, that God wasn't meeting what doing exactly what they wanted to do today. What have you done for me lately, God? Kind of stuff, right? I mean, it's like that kind of thing. And so I think there's there's an amazing picture that we'll see, and we'll, and I think we can recognize the same cycle in our own hearts. And so I want to look at that, and I want to look at the cost of it, and then I want to flip to Philippians and look at uh, some of the words that God has for us there. So. I'll get a little bit of context for this, the Old Testament one that we're going to look at. Uh, the people of Israel, you might remember, they had been conquered. They went off, uh, and, and so to speak, they lived as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God busted the story. And he's like, man, I, I, I've heard your cry, and I have come to save you. I've come to rescue you. And he does so in miraculous, again, jaw-dropping ways. The climax of the story is when the people of Israel have finally been let go and they, they're up against the Red Sea, but Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his armies after him, and so they're trapped, and the people are like, ah, what are we going to do? And God opens up the Red Sea, right? And the people walk through on dry ground, and then he closes up the Red Sea. They are free. I mean, after 400 years, can you imagine? I mean, they, they had not been their own masters. They had not been able to live their own lives. They've been living in slavery, and now they're free. They are God's people, and they get to step into, uh, I mean, into all that God had for them. They got to, it's an amazing story, though, of God's presence, his provision, his protection, uh, just his miraculous work on behalf of his people. That's where we pick up the story. Exodus 15, 22. Literally, this is the next verse. I want you to watch this. Uh, it says, oh, i got to restart Anyway, there you go. Uh, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, uh, they could not drink uh, it because it was bitter. Since that's why the place is called Marah, it means literally bitter. So they grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Now, it's interesting. The word grumble and the word complain are exactly the same word, right? This is, it's, it's the same kind of thing. So they, they come up. It's been three days since God parted the Red Sea. Can you imagine? I mean, the whole people, you know, millions of people walk across the sea on dry ground. God takes out their enemies. God provides freedom. It takes three days before they're grumbling. 
crumbling again. Three days later, are the people still praising God? Are they still in awe of his work? Are they confident in his provision and have filled with faith and confidence in God? No. Are they even asking God for water at this point? What's the answer? No. They don't even go. To, I mean, they've just seen God provide in amazing ways. But then they turn back and say, God, we need water. No. Instead, they grumble at Moses. They start complaining and amazingly, God provides anyway. In the midst of their grumbling, in the midst of their complaining, he makes the water sweet and drinkable, and the people get all they, all they want and all they need. Just a few verses later, we find the people complaining yet again. Exodus 16, starting at verse 1, says this, The whole Israelite assembly set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Never a good idea to go to the desert of Sin, right? It seems like a bad thing. So, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, listen to this, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died at the Lord's hand in Egypt, they said. The people are hungry, and what do they do? They begin to complain. Maybe it would have been better if we were still living as slaves. Maybe it would have been better if we would have died. At least we'd have had food to eat, right? I mean, they begin to complain. And again, in a jaw-dropping kind of way, God mercifully provides manna from heaven. Manna. I mean, manna, it's like, it's like bread from heaven that would come down almost like snow every morning. It would fill the ground. The people would come out, fill their buckets, and they would have bread to eat every day. God provided in jaw-dropping ways, in ways that he made, he made it crystal clear to, to all of his people that this is from him, right? This is from his hand. Well, we fast forward just a few more verses, and we find them complaining again, like manna, manna, manna. Every day, it's the same thing. You give us meat. You can't give us a little bread. We want meat, right? We've been eating this bread but three is taken, you know, whatever, yeah, for years, I don't know, months, whatever. I have no idea. Long for a while. And they're like, we're sick of it. We're sick of it. We want meat. Give us something fresh. Give us something different. And they're complaining and grumbling. Again, they're back. If only we were back in Egypt, if only, then we could at least have some meat to eat. Numbers 11, listen to this. <laughs> this is the next uh, step. This is the response that we find in Numbers. It says, to the people, uh, tell the people, God said, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat. Now keep listening. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you'll eat it. And you'll eat it not just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days. But for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you <laughs> loathe it. Because you have rejected, who does that say? Rejected the Lord who is among you. And you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, if you're hearing a little bit of attitude in this, you should, <laughs> because that's what God's saying. God's like, oh, it's sort of like a parent that's been, uh, you know, working their tail off to prepare this awesome meal, and they put it before you, and you complain, or you scoff, or you whatever, I don't like that, I don't like broccoli, like, I don't like, you like, I don't, whatever, you start to complain about it. And they'll go, oh, I'll give, you, I'll give you some meat, right? I'll give you, <laughs> I'm going to give you so much, it's going to come out of your nose and your ears. You're going you know, to wish you'd never heard of meat, right? I mean, it's like that kind of, I mean, it's, God's getting a little bit ticked at this point, saying, man, you guys are ungrateful. You're un I, haven't you seen, I've provided for you again and again and again and again and again. But again, did they go before God? Did they say, God, would you give us something else? They didn't even do that. What they do, instead they grumble. They complain. All that kind of stuff. 
Now, amazingly, again, God provided, and he provided, oh, oh yeah, he provided a whole heap of meat for them. And then I want you to follow, keep following along here. Exodus 17, uh, this is where, he, where, where this goes. Uh, he says, the whole Israelite uh, community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so they quarreled with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? <laughs> like, I can do something about this. Why do you put the Lord, your God, to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled or complained against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Now, do you remember, like, just like a chapter ago, a couple chapters ago, we read the exact same scenario. And what did the people learn? Nothing, right? They're still grumbling. They're still complaining. Did they turn to the Lord and say, God, we're thirsty? No, they, instead they're complaining against Moses. Now, this is interesting because when the people grumble against Moses, when the people grumble against their leaders, when they, when they complain about the lack of provision or the provision does come in, when they argue or they grumble about the circumstances, God says they are really grumbling about him. And the same is true with us. Can I just pause for just a second? The same is true with us. We do this kind of thing all the time. We may be complaining about our spouse, but really we're complaining about God, the one who has given them to us and entrusted them into our care. We might com com complain about our job, but inevitably we're complaining about God and his work in our life. The one who made us, the one who gave us the job, the one who was providing for us, the one who gave us the skills and talents and abilities that we have. We are complaining and grumbling against God. And that kind of grumbling can really impact our lives. I want you to listen to how this is, this is kind of end because it, we're going to look at how it impacted them because it impacts us in the same way. You know, verse 14 uh, kind of says this. It says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me, God says. Grumble against you, by the way? Against God. How long will they, will they grumble against me? Although they were complaining about who? Moses. But God says, no, it's, they're really complaining about me, grumbling against me. He said, I have heard the complaints of, of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you everything that I have heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one uh, of you, 20 years old and older, who has been counted in the census and who grumbled against me. Not one of them will enter the promised land, the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home. None of them except Caleb son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Now, my intent here, I'm not trying to do a, a fire and brimstone kind of thing. I'm not trying to scare anybody. But here's what I want you to notice, just from a, a macro sort of picture. So often when we focus in on the negativity and we complain and we grumble, rather than turning to God, we go over here and complain and grumble, and we have that sort of heart, we miss out on the promised land. We miss out on the life that God has for us. The two that he mentions there are people that, that even in the midst of other people grumbling said, no, you know what? Our God is able to give us this land. They, they, they move towards trust in God rather than grumbling against him. And they were the ones that he said, you know what? These two are going to come into the promised land. The others, it'll be the next generation that comes in. Do you see what I'm saying? So often our grumbling keeps us from experiencing 
fullness and the joy in everything else that God has for us. It keeps us from experiencing the good stuff. And friends, you don't want to miss the promised land that God has, but you don't want to miss the blessing and the gifts and the life that God has for you. There's no point in complaining, and that's what God tells us He's again and again here. He's saying, he's saying would you quit complaining? I want you to jump with me to Philippians uh, chapter 2. We're going to get some specifics about how we can do that. Some specifics of how we can move out of complaining and, and kind of into the light that God has for us. And I want you to look at this. Philippians 2, starting at verse uh, 12. This is God speaking through Paul. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more so in my absence, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let me just stop there for a second. I think it is, I think this is interesting. So often when we grumble or when we complain, we are putting ourselves at the center of our story. As though the world should revolve around us and everything should conform to our will. But I love God's word here. He says, who's the central figure in your story? He says, it's God. It's God who wills and acts in order to fulfill his good purposes in our lives. It is God who is at work in you to empower you to do what he wants you to do, to live out your faith in the way that he wants. He is the one working according to his good purposes. He's working out the bigger plot. He's the one that understands all the twists and the turns of your story. He's the one that is at work already. And now Paul tells, tells Christ followers like you and me to cooperate with his work, to work out our salvation carefully with fear and trembling. And, and the way to do that, he says, is do everything without complaining. And I just want to, I'm going to kind of break this down into four different parts as we go through this. Because I think every time that you and I are tempted to complain, it's really an opportunity for us to do something on the positive side. I'm just going to walk through this. The first one kind of already hinted at, right? It's The first one is every time we're tempted to complain, it's, an, it's actually an opportunity to trust or to pursue God and to remember his goodness and fullness from the past. Every time we're tempted to dwell on the negative or to grumble or complain about what we don't have or the way things aren't the way, it's an opportunity for us to remember that we are not the central figure in our story. God is it. The scripture says, it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is working out his plan for you and in your life, Christ followers. And so we need to submit ourselves to that. We need to turn back to him and move towards trusting instead of complaining. Do everything, he says, without complaining. What do you think everything means? Everything, right? It means everything. Do everything without grumbling, without complaining, or without arguing. I found this fascinating this week. Of all the things that Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit, could have said here, right? Of how to live out your salvation, of how to live out your identity as blameless and pure children of God. He didn't. He didn't mention Bible study. He didn't. He didn't mention. Prayer specifically, although I think it's hinted at in this. He didn't mention purity. He didn't mention caring for the poor. But all, all, all of those things are, are mentioned in scriptures. All of those things are important. But that's not the thing he points out here. He says, you want to know how you can live out your salvation with fear and trembling? How you can step in and be blameless and pure children of God? You know what it is? 
Quit complaining. Isn't that interesting? Quit complaining. Do everything without arguing or complaining. It's a command given to you and I from God. And if I can push a little further into that, anytime there is a command that's given, when we don't follow that command, what would we call that? Sin. Have, have you ever thought of complaining as sin? I found that incredibly convicting this week. I was like, oh, man. But if God is saying, do everything without complaining and arguing, and we do the opposite, we turn our backs on him and say, no, I'm going to do this. We don't complain. You don't argue. That kind of thing. That's sin. And the only response to sin is repentance, right? Which is what? Turning back to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. Would you restore me? Would you bring me back home? Complaining is sin. Well, that's incredibly Challenging. That's when we put ourselves at the center of our story and we grumble because things are not as I will. It's sin. And God says, you don't understand. This is my story, God says. This, I, I am the star in this story. Do everything without complaining or arguing because he is the one that's in charge here. Because he is the one that's writing the script. Because he is at the center of the story. He's working out his good plans in your life. So you and I are to trust him. And to keep living without complaining, but entrusting ourselves to him. And I think this is one of those things, it's real easy for us to make exceptions for ourselves, right? <laughs> to be like, well, that might be true for you, but you don't know how bad my boss is, right? If you, if you knew how bad my spouse was, or my kids were, or my job, or my finances, or my, if you knew how bad, then you would understand that I am justified in complaining and grumbling and talking about it. If you really understood, oh, that would be a personal. If you really understood how bad Trump was, or how bad the Democrats were, or how bad whatever, then you'd understand that I have good reason to grumble and complain. God could, God could care less, right? I mean, it's like, do everything without grumbling. Can I just point out here, this is the crazy part. This is Philippians, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, God spoke through an, a human author named Paul to write this book. And this is the, the letter that he wrote to the church in, in Philippi. And so Paul, at the time that he's writing this, is where? He is in prison for being a Christ follower. In fact, he's on death row. He is coming to the end of his life and he knows it. He's, go he's been beaten, he's been whipped five times within, within an inch of his life. I, I, I mean, he's, He's lost everything. He's been shipwrecked. He's, I mean, it's crazy, right? He's been stoned to death almost. I mean, not quite, but just shy of I mean, over and over. He has paid. A, I mean, if you're going to talk about, well, yeah, but you don't know how bad my job is. His job's got him on death row, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where he ended up. Well, you don't know how bad my suffering is. Are you kidding? He's almost died at least five times that we know of. Like, he's been taken to the edge of his life. He's sitting here on death row, and God uses him to write this book of Philippians. It's known as the most joyful book in the Bible. He talks about joy more than anything else in the midst of this. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because where's his focus? Paul understands that his story is not about him. It's not just about complaining because everything isn't the way I want. He says, no, no, it is God is at work. This is God's story, and I trust him, and I know that he is writing the story, and this sto I know how the story ends. It's victorious. It is victory. Even if, Paul says this in the midst of the blue, I mean, even if, even if I die, he says, you know what? That's good news for me. I get to go home and be with Jesus. Right? There's good news here. 
So he has joy. He has hope. He knows peace because he is trusting in God, even in the midst of circumstances that are, that are not the way he wants them to be. Man, what if we could know that kind of joy? What if we could learn to trust the Lord in a season that is very much tumultuous, isn't it? I, I mean, Pritzker talked again this week, and I'm like, man, I don't even know if we can have church here next week. I mean, we'll kind of see how this, you don't know what's happening one day to the next. It's a tumultuous season. What if rather than grumbling and complaining about the circumstances, what if we can fix our eyes on Jesus and cling to him and find a joy and a peace and a hope that's only found in trusting him? Amen. Does that seem better? It's better by far. Better by far. I better keep going. Keep going. Here. Philippians 2, we'll keep going, verse 14 says, Do everything without grumbling or without complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. This is interesting. I think the second, every time we are tempted to complain and grumble and murmur, things aren't going the way I want. Every time we're tempted, it's actually an opportunity for us, Christ followers. It's an opportunity to grow or to become disciples of Jesus, to become more like him. Every time that we're tempted to complain, God says, it's an opportunity to trust God, but it's also an opportunity to become more and more and more a disciple of Jesus, to live out our salvation, and to become blameless and pure children of God. It's interesting language. God says every time you have to wait, for instance, it's an opportunity to grow as a disciple, to grow in patience, which is one of those gifts of the spirit that we don't actually like to talk about, right? <laughs> because I'm like, I don't really like that gift of the spirit. Can I trade that in for something? He said, every, it's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Every time we are in a financial crunch and we are sweating bullets, he said, it's an opportunity to trust God, to become more like Jesus, to know him as our provider, to walk with him, sometimes to, to make some financial changes, right? To, to more the way that God would want us to handle our money or whatever, you know what I'm saying, whatever else. Step into something different. It's an opportunity to grow. You see what I'm saying? Every time we're tempted to grumble, it could be that God is just nudging us and saying, if there's part of your heart, part of your character that I need to take the rough edges off of and make thing. Uh, every time we're tempted to grumble, it's an opportunity, I love this, to shine Jesus in our world. Uh, start with verse 14 again, I'll keep reading. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. It says, then you will shine among them, among the people of this generation, like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It's good talk right here. This is the good stuff. Fascinating. How are we going to shine Jesus in a dark world? Part of it, he says, is by choosing to trust and follow and become like Jesus and not complain in our world. Not complain in our circumstance. This is so foreign to our culture right now. I guarantee you, if you if, if you and I choose the path and say, you know, we, with your help, God, I want to learn to quit complaining and instead choose to walk with my eyes fixed on you, using them as opportunities to become disciples and to shine your light. And I'll tell you what, you would shine like uh, people would notice if you're not participating in the grumbling and the complaining and the arguing and the pointing of fingers and all this stuff. You 
would, people would be like, man, there's something different about you. Boy, what if that's, that is not like it, you would shine for Jesus. Let me give you an example. This is, I, I love this story. I've shared it before. But uh, John Ortberg in his book, uh, The Life You Always Wanted, talks about this woman named Mabel. Mabel had lived in a convalescent home, a state-run nursing home of sorts for 25 years. She was blind, part deaf. Um, she had an open sore that had, uh, because of cancer, basically consumed a big portion of her face so much that it was pulling her, her uh, lip uh, down and like kind of made her drool all over. They used to use her uh, to, to uh, acclimate new staff because they figured they could look at her and work with her that they could work with anybody. I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean, it was a horrible, she, if that weren't bad enough, she had three roommates, all of which were human vegetables. So they didn't talk, they didn't speak. The only thing is occasionally they would yell at the top of their lungs for no reason, spontaneously throughout the day or night. This was Mabel. She'd been living in this home for decades, primarily without human contact. I mean, can you imagine? Unbelievable. John Ortberg went in, uh, one uh, Mother's Day, and he was delivering flowers to some of the the, uh, the the people that were in the nursing home. And he took one to her, and he said, "Here, I've got a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day." And he he gave it to her, and she took it. And she said, "Oh, thank you." And she put it up to her nose, trying to smell it, and she said, "Do you mind if I would give this to somebody else?" She said, "I'm blind, you know, like I, I can't really enjoy it." And he said. Sure. So he wheeled her in the wheelchair down the hallway, found another uh, person, uh, and, and she handed them the flower, and they said, here, this is from Jesus. And he said, this is when I began to realize that this was no normal human being. <laughs> he said, another time, he said, I ended up talking with her uh, for hours, and I just, I just asked her, I said, you know, you've sat here day after day, year after year. Decade after decade, you've sat here in isolation. What do you think about all day? And she goes on to say, you know what? I will read this because it's a great quote. She said, you know what? I think about my Jesus. I think about how good he's been to me. She said, he's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's everything to me. And she began to sing an old hymn. The words are, are this. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. He's Jesus. But I have to say, if ever there was a time where you would think, oh, this person, man, they would be justified in grumbling and complaining. Her life was horrible, and yet she shined in this very dark place because her eyes were fixed on Jesus, because she was, she was finding her hope and her trust in him, because she realized that her story was not her own. The star, the savior, the main character in her story was Jesus, and she was trusting in him to work out his good plans in her midst. I wonder what God could do through you and through me if rather than grumbling and complaining in this crazy season, if we were to set our eyes on him, cling to him and trust him as the main character in our story,
to be working for his glory in our good? What impact could we have as Jesus is seen in us and through us? I love the joy that she shares as well. Let's keep going. Philippians 2.15 says this. He says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But he says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering. You know what a drink offering is? It's a sacrifice that's poured out on the altar. It's, it's, he's kind of saying, even if I die, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and, and service coming from your, uh, from your faith, he says, I am glad and I have joy. I rejoice with all of you. So too, you should be glad. And rejoice with me. Takes me to the fourth thing, right? Which is every time you and I are tempted to grumble and complain, it's an opportunity to worship and rejoice. Paul's an amazing example here, right? He said, even if my life is over, he's saying, even if they kill me for my faith, he says, I will be glad and rejoice. I will choose joy in the Lord. I'll be glad that I have lived out my part of his story to the best of my ability. I will be thankful and I will celebrate. Why? Because I know the one who is writing the story. I know that he is good and I know how this story ends. I have a glorious future because of Christ and I know that he will use my efforts and these, even these struggles for his purposes, for his glory, and for his plans to move forth. When our faith and our focus remains on him as the center of our lives and our story, we can rejoice in the hope, the life, the goodness that are found in Christ, no matter the circumstance. Paul can write the most joyful book in the world from death row. He rejoices because of the God, because of what God's doing, because of the God that is with him, because of heaven that is awaiting him. He rejoices that Jesus is present and powerful and good. He rejoices that the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. He worships and rejoices. He's thankful no matter what. Every time we're tempted to grumble and complain, it's an opportunity, really, to rejoice in what he's doing and who he is and the plans he has for us. Well, friends, I wonder how you're doing on this this week. Like I said, convicting topic. Convicting topic to me. Is it a convicting topic to you, too? Yeah. I wonder how we're doing. I wonder how many of us would admit that we complain quite a bit. I mean, I know I can sometimes. I know I do more than I should. I found myself uh, I, uh, complaining even a little bit yesterday. In my own, this just shows you the full depravity of my own heart. <laughs> I found myself even complaining a little bit yesterday, coming in on a Saturday to finish up working on my message on not complaining. Like, how ironic is that? Right? You're like, at some point, you're like, you know, maybe something's off here. But like, we can complain about, we can grumble about all kinds of things. Sometimes I don't even know I'm, I'm doing it. You probably don't either. And so this has been a convicting one for me to realize it's a sin, realizing this is a big deal to God, re realizing that this stands in the way of the good life that God has for me. Instead, I and we and you, we need to learn to see every hardship, every time we, you know, we're waiting, every time something isn't as it should be, every time we're tempted to complain, we need to learn to see it as an opportunity to trust God. An opportunity to grow as a disciple and become more like Jesus. See it as an opportunity to shine Jesus to a world that desperately needs him and the hope and the life and the peace that can only be found in him. And see it as an opportunity to worship and to rejoice in Jesus. We do some application. 
be done for the week. One of the things I, I ran across this week, somebody else had suggested, I thought it was a great idea, uh, is they said, you know, sometimes the, the problem with complaining is sometimes we don't even know we're doing it, right? Sometimes we, it's so embedded in us and it's so what our culture does over and over, we don't even know we're doing it. So they, they said, here's, here's a suggestion. And uh, it, it's good for us, anybody that's living in a relationship with other people, if your family can participate, if your kids can participate, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your a friend, whatever, participate in this, it helps because it raises the accountability bar, that kind of thing. But, but they said, what if for the next week we proclaim a fast, but not a fast from food, you can eat whatever, but a fast from complaining. And anytime there's fasting, there's something that you take away and there's something, there's some things that you replace it with. And what you replace it with is equally as important as what you take away, right? But what if we were to declare, to declare a fast from complaining as much as we can? And, and one of their suggestions, they said, well, here's the thing. Maybe you should get a complaining can <laughs> and set it on, on this, you know, your uh, dining room table or your, your kitchen table or whatever. And said, if you want a positive thing, maybe, maybe you do a joy jar right? or whatever. You put it the positive and you set it there. And every time you find yourself complaining, you put a bucket. You know, especially in, a, in an economy where we're, we're having a change crisis, I guess, or whatever. Maybe it should be bills, right? Maybe bills should be, but maybe you put a buck in it or whatever else. And, uh, and if, if you really want accountability, get your kids up in on it with you because they would be happy to catch you every single time you complain, right? So you say, oh man, I can't believe it. That'll be a buck, right? <laughs> oh man, I can't, I can't believe dad's doing this again or mom, that'll be a buck, right? I mean, every time you find yourself complaining, my job, I gotta go to That'll be a dollar. You start putting this in. They said, at the end of the week, why don't you take it, you put it in an envelope, throw it in the offering bucket. What if our sin could be turned into worship, right? What if, our, what if our complaining could be turned into cash that God could use for his kingdom? Like, that's a great idea. It's something that kind of helps us get in the rhythm. I can remember as Take a quick tangent. I can remember as a brand new believer, I swore like a sailor, okay? I had a bad mouth. I learned it. I, it was a habit. I didn't even know I was doing it. So I got accountability uh, at my room from my roommate. And I said, I'll tell you what, every time you hear me say a swear word, I want you to punch me in the arm as hard as you can. And I was, you know, 20-something college, do whatever. I mean, like, that's, that's what guys do, right, kind of thing. And so, but I'll tell you what, I learned what I was saying very quickly, right? Because accountability does that. All of a sudden you say, blah, blah, blah. It's like, the guy was like a, the guy was like an all-state wrestler. I kid you not. He was, he was, yeah, he was strong. So I was like, owie! My arm like throbbing and stuff. And it did not take me long. Suddenly I was, I was pure, right? My mouth suddenly caught up with where my heart wanted it to be. Accountability does it. The same thing with this kind of thing. Sometimes we just need to put practices into our lives that can help us become who we're meant to be. We can, we can use this as an opportunity, right, to become a disciple, a blameless and pure child of God. What if we fasted from that? Maybe for you, maybe it's, you're like, okay, maybe it's not the complaining part that you need to work on. Maybe you've got that under control, although I have my questions. I think all of us probably need to do that. But maybe for you, maybe, maybe some of the replacement part is instead every time you find yourself tempted to complain or grumble, maybe this week you need to start hitting your knees, literally. Sometimes the best thing we can do is turn to God in that. If the people of Israel wouldn't just clamp their mouth and turn to the Lord and say, God, we need water, the story would be so different, wouldn't it? Because we have a God that delights in providing for us. He delights for them when they grumble, but he delights in giving good gifts to his kids. Maybe 
every time you find that welling up within you, you're like, oh, I wish this were that way. Or why don't we that? What if we just turn and say, God, you know I don't want to go to work today. Would you? But this, it's your story. This is your will. This is your kingdom. Would you use me? Would you strengthen me? Would you even just make my heart, put my heart in a place where I want to go and shine for you? See what I'm saying? Like, it's just a totally different deal. Or God, I'm struggling financially. Or God, I'm struggling with this. this. Would, would you help me? Would you? It's your story. It's your will we're concerned about. Would you have your will in your way? Maybe, um, maybe it's the worship part. Maybe this weekend, every time you find yourself with that desire to grumble, maybe you need to just spend some extra time just with thankfulness. Moving from grumbling to gratefulness. Just, just some taking some opportunity every single day just to say, God, I am thankful and start listing off what I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my spouse. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for our church. I'm, you know, just, just start it. I'm doing it rapid fire, but like, allow yourself to feel that and just rejoice with God. Thank Him. Worship Him. Praise Him for His goodness, for His provision, for His care, and then surrender yourself Would you and would I this week we learn to, to hear the word of God and say, you know what, I quit to complaining. And would we instead learn to choose the path of joy and thankfulness of life? May we choose to quit complaining that we may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word. God, that's our cry this morning, Lord. Would you forgive us, first and foremost, Lord? It's so easy for us to be grumblers and complainers. God, forgive us. Cleanse us. And I pray this week, amen, that you would help us, that you would teach us, that you would discipline us to be people who are quick to trust you, to be people that uh, see every challenge as an opportunity to become more and more a disciple of Jesus, to be shaped more and more into your image. May, may we trust you, and as we do, would you shine through us instead of complaining and grumble? Hey, God, would you um, just move us as well and just to see, help us to see it as an opportunity to worship and to be grateful for you and your goodness and